Kia ora everyone and welcome to our last podcast of the year. This is a careers advice podcast and I am joined by three wonderful people who agreed to give advice. My name is Emma and I am your host and I will invite my lovely guests to introduce themselves. Kia ora everyone, um, my name is Ram, um, so I've passed out of uni I think it's been almost uh, three years since I passed out of Victoria University. Um, I studied law and majored in accounting, tax and finance. Hi everyone, I'm Yemo. I finished law school about six years ago, <laughs> feeling a little bit old. Uh, and yeah, so we're working full-time since in Grayson now. Kia ora everyone, my name is Noelle. I did um, law school in Auckland actually, and I finished... Ooh, I think three years ago now, but I'm now working full-time as a policy advisor with the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment. Cool. I was wondering if maybe you guys could start by explaining a little bit what you do, like what your role is and what that looks like day to day and whether that is a role that you thought you would want or whether it's something you fell into a bit accidentally. Um, so for me, I work at the Ministry of Social Development as a solicitor. Um, so I was promoted to um, solicitor in December last year. So until then, I was a graduate lawyer for about a year. Um, prior to that, I was actually a uh, graduate auditor. So funnily enough, I did fall into my role now, not by accident, but uh, by choice, uh, because I didn't personally like auditing. Um, at MSD, I do a lot of work in the litigation space and some work in the public law space, um, primarily focusing on historic abuse claims uh, and some work in uh, housing. So I am currently a solicitor in the corporate team at Simpson Grayson. I've been here about three years. Prior to that, I spent three years at NZX. Um, but my first legal role actually coming out of university was working for what was then MB, uh, but subsequently became WorkSafe for the Pike River uh, mine investigation, in, in particular the um, the judicial review uh, of the decision to uh, withdraw, I guess, or the finishing of the investigation to Peter Whittle. So I'm a policy advisor with the building and construction policy team at MB, and what that involves is, um, so it's not a legal role, um, but I always like to say that I help make the laws. Um, so it's basically the back end of all the things that need to happen, all the policy that needs to be developed before a bill is introduced into parliament. So that's you know consulting the public, identifying the problem and coming up with solutions and testing whether um, those solutions are actually practicable and, and viable. I did sort of just fall into this job because when I finished law school, I and I think a few people might relate to this, I didn't necessarily want to go straight into a legal career. I thought, what are the things I could apply for that would avoid having to go practice law? Um, and so I just applied for all the graduate um, programs in the public sector, and I happened to land at MB, and it's been really, really good thus far. 
That's really good to hear. So it sounds like some of you have had rather unconventional paths to where you are now. So what would you say to all the students who are trying really hard to get clerkships and are really stressed about that? So I think be open to any opportunities that are presented to you. Um, so not everyone is going to necessarily get a clerkship, but there are, if you have another degree, there are opportunities in terms of finance internships or auditing internships. Definitely try that, get it on your CV. Um, it shows that you are willing to try different things. It shows your uh, competence, you and your aptitude, your ability to network, um, so your first job doesn't necessarily have to be a legal role. Um, just getting out there, getting some experience, networking, all of that will help you land a legal role later on in your career. Uh, yeah, I absolutely agree with Ram there. I didn't have a clerkship and I say to people who are going through that process right now is obviously give it your best, put your best foot forward. You never know. Um, at the same time, don't be disheartened that you just because you didn't get one doesn't mean you'll never end up working in private practice. Um, and for many people, to be fair, I didn't ever expect to see myself end up in private practice after three years in sort of like a semi-regulatory quasi-in-house uh, role. But here I am, I'm enjoying it. And I think, if anything, um, I would say not going directly into private practice actually has helped me because I've been able to have other experiences as a lawyer in a more in-house, more regulatory role, uh, that basically are experiences that you normally wouldn't otherwise get as a junior lawyer at a big firm. Yeah, so I agree with everything that was said. I think the advice I would give to students who are sort of worried about the clerkships is it's actually not as big a deal as you think it is at the time while you're in law school. I applied for two rounds of these clerkships, you know, so two different years, and I got soundly rejected by all of the clerkships I applied to. Um, and the thing is, the clerkships are quite difficult to get. As you all know, the, the number of clerkships they give out is minuscule compared to the number of people that want it or are even qualified for it. Um, and it's not the end of the world. If you don't get it, there's lots of ways to eventually land in a legal career and practice if that's what you choose. But it might also be fun to try other careers, like, for example, policy. Um, and you might find that you enjoy that just as much, if not more. Um, uh, just to give you guys an example of an unconventional pathway, um, so I said I worked as an auditor. I worked as an auditor for Audit New Zealand. And one of my primary clients was the Ministry of Social Development. And um, while I was auditing their contingent liabilities, I'm, I had the privilege of meeting the chief legal advisor and uh, the manager to the litigation team. And passing by, I simply um, told them that I was uh, due to complete my professional legal studies. Um, that started off a networking pathway that uh, ended up um, allowing me to join the Ministry of Social Development at a later date. So um, things like that do happen. Um, so yeah, just keep networking. It is very important. Yeah, I just want to also add to that as well. Um, how I actually ended up here at Simpson Grayson was pretty much um, a, a, a sort of by luck thing where I was working across from one of my seniors now when I was at NZX on a, on a client matter or a listed entity who was who is still listed and now is one of my, I guess, 
close close clients that I deal with almost on a daily basis. They said they liked the way I worked and they said, I said, would you be interested in having a coffee and just seeing if you would be interested in coming to private practice? And I said, oh, why, why on earth would I move to Auckland? Um, two weeks after that coffee, I got an offer and we went, all right, well, let's give this a go. So here I am three years later. Like, I think most of you have mentioned networking or talking to people to some extent. Do you have any tips on how to network for people that don't really know what to do? Um, so join clubs uh, to begin with. Uh, there are professional clubs um, such as ALSA. There's uh, Better Alpha Psi, and I know there are a handful of other clubs at university. Um, they do mock interviews where you can meet with um, employers. And if, if you find that there's an employer or a recruitment uh, person from the employment agency, um, who you're interested in, then definitely ask for um, their card and just ask them ask them for a coffee. They're always um, interested in meeting individuals who take the initiative um, to basically uh, take that first step um, to just getting uh, get in touch with them. Um, you'd be surprised not a lot of students do have that confidence to just go up and ask a senior professional, hey, uh, can we go out for a coffee? Um, so yeah, take that initiative. I 100% I agree with that. I think one of the things that I've uh, adopted in the past but don't do so much anymore is, is it's, this is quite an aggressive move, but you go onto LinkedIn and you look at the places that you want to work or the people you kind of are interested in and say, hey, and you message them and say, hey, I like what you do. I want to know what you do. Can we meet for a coffee? You know, It's a numbers game, unfortunately. You're not going to get everyone saying yes, but I would find... I, you know, I used to find that out of 10 people I'd message, I'd probably get so six or seven people coming back saying, yeah, love to have a coffee, love to talk about what I do, because people love talking about what uh, they do, and it is really flattering, especially if you reached out to them and you've actually taken the effort to find out who they are, whether it's a senior, senior practitioner or a junior practitioner. Junior practitioners are obviously a bit more, um, or junior lawyers are a little bit easier to approach with, with, the, with a slightly less of an age difference, but... I think the same principle applies whether they're 20, 30, 40, or 50. Yeah, I really agree what, with what Ram mentioned in that you'd be surprised how few people are actually really comfortable and confident networking. It's a really awkward experience because it's almost like sometimes, depending on the situation, like you're selling yourself to someone and saying, hey, I'm interesting, be interested in me. And it's never not awkward unless you're a little bit of a narcissist um and so it is kind of like well based on my experience a lot of it is fake it till you make it it's awkward for everyone most everyone and if you just you know put yourself out there and just say okay I accept that it's going to be awkward it may only be 20% fun but I'm going to go for it because I know that this is something that will help in the future or that or at least it's good practice then, then that's that's worth doing. And I think just a tip for when you do go out for those coffees, which are a lot more common than people think, especially at least in the public sector, it's really, really common to approach um, a team leader or a manager or a senior and say, hey, I'm interested in your team. Do you have time to catch up for a coffee and just chat about the work you do? It's important to go to those sorts of meetings with an actual purpose because they will come very willing to share their time and experience. And you don't want to waste the time that they're giving you by 
not really knowing what you're looking for in terms of the questions you're going to ask or, you know, if you're being really direct and asking them about, do you have vacancies that, you know, you think I'd be interested in? Do you think that you can have the same effect by emailing people or do you think that reaching out and asking for an in-person meetup is the best way to go about it? I think uh, it depends on what you're comfortable with. Um, I think some people are very much capable of uh, just sending a text and uh, hoping for a positive reply. Um, Others find it is far more professional to email. Um, But I think as Emo mentioned, it is a numbers game. So you can try all your communication methods if you want. And certainly some people are going to say yes. Um, And also just to add to what uh, Noelle said, If you're going to pick a firm uh, and a person to talk to, uh, definitely do your research. Uh, Make sure it's a firm that you want to work at because you like what they do and their culture or the values fit with with yours. Um, It's not an info session that you're asking to meet up with this person for. You're not going to sit there and ask them, hey, what do you believe in? You should should be able to gather that from their prospectus or other um, information available online. Yeah, I don't really have too much to add to that. I think the at the end of the day, with your comfort levels around how you approach people, of course, you know, some in this day and age, a video call, a Zoom, Teams, that's just as common as having a coffee. But obviously, there are certain things like practicing your body. You know, you're practicing your, I guess, your, your, you're just your talking and and, and being mm-hmm. in, in those somewhat uncomfortable environments. They're just quite good, uh, just to have and 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 being familiar with that feeling will not just only help you in your networking, but also in your professional life. Um, yeah, but I, I think I, I agree that you know, in, in the first instance, if you're not comfortable saying, "Hey, look, I'd like, like to meet for a coffee," obviously send the email. Most communications are by some sort of electronic form anyway. Start with the email, start with a LinkedIn message, whatever that might be, and say, "Hey." Uh, tell me more about what you do. This is what I understand, blah, blah, blah. And then to go from there. And if you're comfortable having a coffee afterwards or meeting in person, then by all means. Do you think that generally people who don't make that extra effort or initiative or reach out, the people who just go through the ordinary application processes will still be able to make it? Like, does that apply to any of you? Yeah. Um, so I got my job just through the regular application process. I didn't know because I um, originally came from Auckland and now I work in Wellington. I didn't know anyone in Wellington or in the public sector at all. So the field where I'm in now, I have no family that has been here before me. So I don't have any connections. All the connections I'm building now are for the first time. Um, So it's not a disadvantage, I would say, if you're doing, you know, entry level stuff. I think it becomes more important to be able to put yourself out there and take that extra step when you're wanting to move further along in your career faster, or if you're wanting to try something really different from where you are now. So for example, when I went on secondment, um, I got that secondment by doing the coffee thing and emailing the manager of the team I was interested in and saying, hey, I'm interested in the work you're doing. I heard you might be looking for more policy advisors. Do you have time to you know, chat over coffee? And a lot of the other people I've seen who joined that team did get in through, you know, 
through an application process, but you know, having that first touch with with the manager and introducing themselves and expressing that interest, just so that when the time came that they put forth their expression of interest, their name was familiar and they sort of had, you know, that background information of, oh, I remember meeting that person. They seemed really passionate about this work. I think they'd be a really good fit for this team. No, that's really good advice. Um, Noel, I wanted to ask you specifically, um, do you think that you'd ever be interested in going into legal practice again? Or do you think that you're really happy where you are and want to stay? I think for now, I'm quite happy where I am. It's really the thing I find most satisfying about my job is that even at a, a beginning level, so like a, a young professional's level, I can feel my work and see it impacting people's lives positively. And I see it very concretely. And I always thought that um, I'd only be able to experience that at work when I reached a much more senior level, when I was the one making the decisions. Um, and that surprised me that, that I've been able to feel that sense of fulfillment um, this early in my career. I think eventually I might give legal practice a try if only for my very Asian parents who think it would be a waste otherwise. Um, and I'll sort of cross that bridge when I get to it of deciding whether I like one more than the other. Because you brought up the whole Asian thing, I was wondering if any of you have experienced any discrimination or feel like you've been treated differently because you are Asian? Uh, I think that's an interesting question. I, I, I can't say I, I feel like I've been uh, discriminated against uh, necessarily, um, but I have had this awkward feeling um, where at a firm that I worked at, I was the only Indian person there. And um, when you're the only Indian person there, you're, you're the only person of a particular um, ethnicity. Uh, there's this uncomfortable feeling that you might be the token individual, and I don't. I don't think anyone needs to feel that way. Um, I think it, it's valid that some people might feel that way, but um, uh, be confident in the fact that you've earned your spot. Um, you you have a right to be there, um, and all all it requires is in essence, for you to be confident in your skills. Uh, it took me a while, but now I'm very confident that I deserve to be where I am. I've, I've received enough praise uh, from my colleagues um, to be able to believe in myself even more. Yeah, I personally have not experienced, I think, outright discrimination. I think there's always unconscious bias or you know, your name looks different or you look different. You 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 are a minority in that, you know, like 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 Ram says, that you might be the only Indian or the only Chinese or the only Korean, Japanese, Asian person in your team or in the wider organization, or at least immediately that you can see. And that makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. I think just to kind of take a step back and talk about part of the reason why ELSA was started. And so for those who are listening and who don't know my background with ELSA, was I was one of the co-founders back in 2013. It was that we recognized that you know, there is a there's a large number of Asian law students, or at least Asian community within the university cohorts, and we wanted to help people see that and give you know people a voice and and a place to talk about sort of common shared cultural and academic struggles and all that. Um, and it's and it's heartening to see as a result of this, not necessarily directly but indirectly, that there are more Asian 
lawyers, young, young, young lawyers or young law graduates coming through. And so with that in mind, I think the discrimination thing, which I, I agree is present and will always be present, but will, I hope and I, I, I believe, truly believe that it is becoming more and more, uh, I guess, background is quite a diminished aspect. I don't ever have to think about the fact that I'm Chinese or that I, I look a certain way or sound differently or my name looks different, that I'm going to be looked over or have to be, you know, try twice as hard because of because of who I am. I guess um, it's sort of, it's a difficult question to answer because I think a lot of the time, especially in New Zealand and maybe especially in the public service, because we're so careful and mindful about, you know, what we represent. I, I can't say that I've experienced outright racism, but there's definitely those microaggression experiences of, you know, is it a joke or is it a pattern? Um, and I mean, in my cohort and the grad program, I definitely felt at some point, sort of in the back of my mind, am I one of the token brown people in this cohort? Because I think at the time there was maybe two or three of us who weren't um, white, basically. Um, and I think, you know, we'll never know if we were the token people, but the way I, I looked at it was if I'm given this space to occupy, regardless of why I've been given this space, then, you know, it's my job to occupy it as best as I can so that the people who come after me have an easier time. Um, and I think, you know, the, the thing that affects me more at work, for example, isn't so much the racism. It's like Ram said, feeling sometimes quite isolated. If you look around your team and you're the only person who shares your culture or your background or who looks like you, sometimes it can be quite isolating. It can be small experiences like, you know, not wanting to microwave your food in the shared kitchen because it will smell really strongly, which smells great to you, but doesn't smell great to people who don't know what your food is like. Um, but I'm really happy to say that in the public service, especially at MB, the culture about you know, inclusion and diversity has been improve, improving exponentially. It's not perfect. I don't think it's gonna be perfect for a long time, um, just cause that's how the human psyche works, but it's definitely getting better. I hope that by the time, you know, some of the people listening to this podcast go into their careers, it will be even just that slight bit better. I just want to add very quickly to that from a private practice perspective, I think in light of various, I guess, matters over the years, such as the, the, the Russell McVeigh incidents, not necessarily to do with discrimination, but obviously with, with, with sexual assault, the private practice as a whole is very cognizant of these issues and they are very, very good at at least signaling that they are trying. I, I, I won't pretend it is perfect and I won't pretend it's any good in, in some instances, but in terms of cultural diversity and inclusion, I would say it's it's like I think in the public sector, drastically and sort of exponentially improving. I And, and in my experience, so about a, two years ago, we had our grad intake of yeah, of some, no, of graduates. I think there were 16 graduates and five of them were Chinese or Asian descent. 
And so that's that's that was not just because they they were being picked because they were token or you know the idea of that they, they needed the representation, but because they were genuinely the best uh, for, for from that cohort. So I think, yeah, I think people should not come into the organ or into the workforce feeling like they're going to be discriminated against. Of course, you know it is going to be always in the back of our minds, and it's never going it's never going to be. 100% right. We're never going to be on the well on equal footing. I, I mean, to be blunt about it, but I don't think anyone should ever feel like they're they're going to be looked over as a result of how they look or what their name looks like or you know how they sound. Well, that's really insightful and also really encouraging to know that you know even if things are still problematic at times, that there that there's an effort to change. And particularly, Noel, it's really encouraging to hear that the public sector is making a real strong effort to be inclusive. What would you tell a law student who is stressed not to worry about? Or what would you say doesn't matter now? I think um, there's, a, there's a lot of awareness about mental health at this stage. Um, so if you feel stressed out, get out there and ask for some help. Uh, law school is competitive, uh, but at the same time, I have met some of my closest friends there um, who have helped me through law school. Um, I, I went through quite a difficult time when I was in law school. I tried attempting six papers in a trimester while holding down two jobs. And that was some of the toughest things that I did for about two, three years of my life there. And it was because of a couple of friends that I got through uh, with my sanity intact. So asking for help is extremely important. Take care of your mental health. It, it is not a race. You can take your time with law school, do three papers if you need to. If you need to drop a job, drop a job. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, your mental health is your priority. I 100% agree with that. Mental health is definitely something that, you know, becoming, especially for my, for speaking personally, is, you know, I've experienced both ends of the spectrum, from the highs of the highs to the lows of the lows. Burnout is a genuine issue, especially in the private practice. Um, but if I had to boil it down to one thing to tell, I guess, if it was myself or anyone coming through law school now is, back yourself you just you just don't like imposter syndrome is real i feel it every day and all my friends and my colleagues my peers we all feel it it's normal it's okay to feel like you're never not good enough it's a very normal feeling but back yourself and just give everything a good go and if you need the support there will be people your friends your your colleagues your family everyone you you might not hear it but they're they're backing you 100 percent of the way i agree Absolutely. I think the one thing that I want students to know that doesn't matter really in the long run is the pace at which you're going. I think, you know, when I was at law school, I was so, so stressed about trying to finish on time. And, you know, now in hindsight, I don't even know what that was supposed to mean for me. What is on time? You know, if it means, if it meant doing summers every summer and overloading every semester, it's not worth it. It's fine to do three, four papers. It's fine to take six years, 6.5. Um, at the end of the day, when you're in the workforce, people aren't going to ask you, you know, well, how long did it take you to finish your law degree? Or how long were you at uniform? Oh, why, why did it take so long? No one's going to ask you that. People are hiring you for the skills and knowledge you bring. And knowing how to look after your well-being is one of the strongest most important skills you can take out of uni because it doesn't get easier (laughs) 
out of uni, it's still stressful. You know, when you go to work, you'll have new types of stress and knowing when to say no and knowing when to slow down is a really, really important skill. Um, and I think I just wanted to add one last thing, and that was to do with the imposter syndrome. I think that's also not that important right now, even though I might feel like it, to be the most competent person in your class or in, in your batch. Um, imposter syndrome is there forever. Most people I know have it, and I am talking about, you know, principals who are years and years into their career and they still have a lot of moments where they feel like oh do I know what I'm doing I don't feel like I know I'm what I'm doing um, and I think just take comfort in the fact that almost everyone is just trying their best every day so it's fine to not know um, what's important is to know when you need to ask for help and to know when you need to slow down for yourself I'm just going to add one final final thing do grades matter? Uh, from my experience, um, for me, it didn't really matter. Um, I think my experience, my holistic skills uh, mattered far more. It was how I presented myself. Uh, it was the friends I made through law school. It was the connections that I made through my internships um, that really mattered. Um, grades do matter in terms of just uh, putting it on your CV, but also um, the knowledge that you gain uh, by uh, putting yourself through the arduous process of achieving those grades. Um, so yes, they do matter, but they're not the end, end all of uh, getting it. Grades don't matter, but you should still try. So don't, 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 don't take this as, you know, all right, cool. I'm just going to coast my way through law school. Like law school was meant to be hard, but you know whether you choose to be a lawyer or not the skills that you 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 attain as a as a result of your law degree is far more useful or far more so has more uses beyond just than being a lawyer whether it's policy whether it's um you know technical advisory work it's the an analytical skills that you just can't get anywhere else it is a very uh versatile skill set so do try but your grades no they don't really matter yeah, so I think I, I really agree. I think it's more grades are important, but they don't matter. They're important in that, you know, it is important that you try your best to learn the skills. And, you know, if you're going to the legal field, the knowledge that's being given to you at law school. Don't just coast along and never take notes and just barely pass the exams. Um, so it's important in that way for the knowledge and skills that it should give you. Um, but they're, they're not, they don't matter in that they don't reflect your self-worth, your entire self-worth as an employable person. And getting a B is fine. A B minus is fine. It's honestly that, not that much different in terms of um, hireability, at least based on my experience, to someone who got A pluses all the way through law school. Because I didn't get that. Um, I was a solid like B <laughs> student. So thank you all so much for your time. I know I feel really encouraged by everything that you've said. And I know that I'm leaving this podcast today with some really helpful tips on how to progress in my own career. And I know that everyone out there listening will feel the same. So thank you so much from Elsa. And I hope that everybody listening feels better and feels supported knowing that they are absolutely not alone in their career journey. So thank you and goodbye. 
Thank you, Emma. Uh, thank you, also. Thank you for all the listeners too. Um, and feel free to get in touch if you want to chat more. I know that some of you might have plenty more questions, so um, get our contact details from also exec and give us a um, yeah. Yeah, I agree, one hundred percent. More than happy to chat. Uh, thank you so much for organising, and yeah, hope to hear from some of you soon. Happy to be here, and if anyone wants to do that weird, awkward coffee thing, 